welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 46. Well, with Ron Paul's candidacy really beginning to catch fire, he got over $5 million in contributions in the last quarter. The mass media are finally beginning to take him seriously. Judy Woodruff had a really fine interview with Ron Paul on the PBS NewsHour the other night. And with Al Gore's winning the Nobel Prize. I thought maybe it was time to talk again about something I proposed back in a blog post in April of this year. A modest proposal in which I suggested that rather than working hard to support only one candidate in either the Republican or the Democratic parties, why don't we think about supporting the best candidate in each of the two major parties? That is, why don't we work for the best Republican candidate and the best Democratic candidate? And if we did that, and if the people that we supported made it and won the primaries, and in my case, that would be Ron Paul winning the Republican primary, Al Gore winning the Democratic primary, well, just think about it. Think about the level of discourse. Finally, we'd have that rarity of rarities a true debate of intellect and ideas in the general election. Finally, something really good to choose from, rather than the lesser of two evils, rather than the hack gibberish and politically entangled positions that always seem to come down to us in our presidential elections. So let's look at this suggestion a little more carefully. The approach that most people take to presidential elections, of course, is you pick a candidate. Usually early on, if you can, one candidate, and then you support him or her to the hilt. If your candidate fails before getting the nomination, you may or may not switch to another but then you'll go through the same process with that other candidate. If your chosen candidate happens to be a Democrat, you likely won't have much real interest in the Republicans except to hope that they choose the weakest person to run for office. And vice versa. If your favorite candidate is a Republican, all you'll likely care about regarding the Democrats is what they can do, presumably unintentionally, to help your Republican candidate win. But does this approach really get the best out of our democracy? What if we tried something a little different? What if we tried to support the best candidates in both of the major parties, the candidates who most represented the ideals of each of the parties? And then we could choose between the two very best candidates that each party could offer. Here are my favorites. In first, the Democratic and then the Republican Party, and I'll tell you why. First, in the Democratic Party, Al Gore. His election would correct the deep injustice of the 2000 election when, as we all know, Gore won the popular vote. 
Now, George W. Bush did win the vote in the Electoral College. That's why he became president. But that was only after the neocon-dominated Republican Supreme Court prevented the recount in Florida, which had been required by the high court in Florida. And the U.S. Supreme Court is not supposed to interfere with state decisions about elections in that way, but uh, the Supreme Court did. And we know what the result was. So Al Gore becoming president would be one of those rare instances in history in which we could correct an historical injustice. I think that would be very healthy for the country. And Al Gore has other good qualities. He was anti-Iraq war from the beginning. He's obviously genuinely interested in science to improve our human condition. He clearly is a man who values ideas and reason and rationality. Now, he's not perfect. No candidate is perfect. One of the minuses that concern me about Al Gore would be how he would respond to what I see as one of the most important issues, the government's crackdown on indecency or alleged indecency in the media. Now, Tipper Gore, Al's wife, has a decades-long tradition of worrying about lyrics in rap music. So I would be a little concerned that Gore might not be the best person to stand up to this fundamentalist jihad against indecency in the media, which is currently gripping Congress. Let's move on to some other Democratic possibilities. And one thing about the Democrats this year is they have many good candidates. Barack Obama, for example, was against the Iraq War from the very beginning. And I think it would be very healthy for America to have an African-American president. His minuses, well, he probably doesn't have as much experience. He certainly doesn't have as much experience as Al Gore and some of the other candidates. And Obama's been untested on many issues. John Edwards, I think, is an impressive candidate. And I'll tell you what impressed me about him the most. It's what I discovered last April when I read on one of John Edwards' blogs that among his favorite books is I.F. Stone's The Trial of Socrates. Now, what does that tell us about what kind of candidate John Edwards would be, what kind of president he would make? It says he is someone who cares deeply about history, who has an appreciation of philosophy, who has a sense of the trials and tribulations of the democratic process throughout history. I think those are very rare and admirable qualities indeed in a president. And not only that, John Edwards tends to be anti-establishment. He's not likely to be encumbered by the special interest groups and the whole maze of various binding situations that afflict our people in Washington. You could say that our country, to some extent, has been paralyzed by these traditions, which I think that uh, John Edwards, as 
would Barack Obama and Al Gore in their ways be quick to want to cut beyond and out of? And also in the Democratic Party, Dennis Kucinich voted against the war. He would be a good president, certainly far better than our current president. And Mike Ravel seems to be sometimes a little more of a mad hatter than a presidential candidate. But if you listen to what he says, he has a very clear understanding also of why the war was wrong and what we need to do as a country to get back in the right direction. So I think any of these five candidates, with Al Gore clearly being the first, would work for the Democratic Party and for the country if elected. Now, the Republicans don't have such a wide array of choices. In fact, they only have one choice by my lights, and that would be Ron Paul. He, too, is against the war. But he's not only against the war because he thought it was a mistake for us to get involved in Iraq. Ron Paul understands that the war was unconstitutional. And in fact, we have not been in a war that was declared by both houses of Congress as required by our Constitution since World War II. Every war since World War II, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, and now the current war in Iraq is illegal in that our government did not follow the written instructions in the highest law of the land. Now, some people say, well, Congress did authorize the president to pursue this policy The Constitution doesn't talk about authorization. It talks about a declaration of war. And Ron Paul is almost alone among the candidates running for president who ever even mentions that the war is unconstitutional. Furthermore, since he is such a vigorous defender of the Constitution, Ron Paul stands up for the First Amendment. And getting back to what I was saying before about Congress's crackdown on indecency, every time the FCC fines a station, every time Congress calls out for higher fines or to extend FCC control to cable, they are in violation of the First Amendment of our Constitution, which says Congress shall make no law, no law abridging freedom of speech or the press. Last time I checked, broadcasting was a kind of speech and a kind of press. Ron Paul understands this. That's why he's such a staunch supporter of freedom. He's an opponent of government censorship all across the board. And in addition to that, Ron Paul has some other very good positions as well, at least in my view. For example, he's in favor of private enterprise and space. So is Al Gore. Getting out into space, I think, is a very important part of what our species needs to do in the decades ahead if we're going to survive in the long run as a species. And we can't rely on the government to do that. Now, Ron Paul has some minuses as well. Again, no candidate is perfect. Biggest minus for me would be that Ron Paul's in favor of states not the federal government, but states banning abortion. I'm in favor of a woman's right to choose. It's a difficult issue, but I think that's where we should be. 
Ron Paul's an opponent of gun control. That's another very difficult issue. On that issue, I have to agree with him completely that the Second Amendment does support Ron Paul's position. But my concern is there are too many guns out there that fall into the hands of psychos. And you see what happens in the schools. So many innocent lives are lost. We have to figure out a way, I think, of getting some of these guns off the street and out of these psycho hands. I agree that the Second Amendment makes that difficult, but I'm not content to just say, hey, the government should keep its hands off guns. One other thing about Ron Paul, although I do agree completely with his view that America is suffering from too many foreign entanglements, for example, what are our troops doing in Korea 50 years after the Korean War? which, as I said, at the get-go of that war, there was no declaration of war, so it was illegal from the start. And I agree with Ron Paul about that and many other foreign situations. But one thing I don't agree with Ron Paul about was he urged U.S. neutrality in the Israeli-Hezbollah war in the summer of 2006. I don't agree with that for two reasons. One, Israel is a staunch ally of America in the Middle East. And second, or maybe first, the ethics were clearly on Israel's side because Israel was attacked when the Hezbollah kidnapped Israeli soldiers. So I don't agree with everything that Ron Paul says or does. But nonetheless, his support of the Constitution, his support of the First Amendment, his insistence that we need a declaration of war, which is not just a technical thing. It means that Congress considers much more carefully than it did in the case of the Iraq War whether to go to war. For all of those reasons, Ron Paul is far and away the best candidate in the Republican Party, and actually in many issues better than any Democratic candidate as well. But the whole point of this little proposal that I'm offering is that we don't need to make a decision now between Democratic candidate versus Republican candidate. Imagine in the fall a situation in which we could decide whether we wanted to vote for Al Gore and the rationality and global perspective that he brings and would bring to the presidency, or Ron Paul and his fervent support of the Constitution and freedom, wouldn't that be a great choice, two refreshing choices? And there are all kinds of possible combinations, especially among the Democrats. For example, I could think about a, an Al Gore-Barack Obama ticket. That would certainly be something exciting. So, there you have it. Think about it. Think about changing the way we nominate our candidates. Think about breaking out of the straitjacket of the past. Think about increasing the choices that we have. Think about getting the best people out there so we can make the best choices in the fall. And I think that by working for the best candidates in both parties, we would go a long way towards improving our election process and therefore our country. The Light on Light Through podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no ease dot com. And now a word from our new sponsor. 
Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up With A Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. And a few more words about that Judy Woodruff interview with Ron Paul that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. If you have a chance... Take a look at it. You can find it on YouTube. I have a copy of it on InfiniteRegress.tv. And when you watch it, see if you don't notice something different about that interview. And I'm not talking about what Ron Paul said, although that was very good and interesting. I'm talking about the way that Judy Woodruff conducted that interview. No interruptions of her guest. No sarcastic comments, no attempts to best the guest with a quick rejoinder, none of that. In other words, none of the stuff that we've come to expect of interviews of people on news shows. Exactly the kind of thing you see on Bill O'Reilly's show, on Chris Matthews. It doesn't matter really what the political agenda is of the interviewer. It seems that nowadays, you don't let your guests get a word in edgewise. Now, I admit I've been on O'Reilly's show a few times. I actually like that give and take as a guest. It's sort of fun to see if I can get one in under O'Reilly. But at the end of the day, certainly as a viewer, although I might find those things enjoyable to watch, you don't really learn all that much about the subject matter. And you're left with the same kind of feeling you have when you have a cheap kick from anything. You certainly don't learn anything really useful. Well, in contrast, take a look at that Woodruff PBS NewsHour interview of Ron Paul and see if you don't agree that it's a really refreshing kind of interview. Because we finally get a chance to hear what, in this case, Ron Paul is saying and maybe learn something about his views. And you know what? That's the way interviewing used to be until maybe 10 or so years ago. And wouldn't it be nice if this Woodruff interview was the beginning of a revolution in interviewing or maybe a retrieval of what used to be the usual interview you would see all the time on television. I certainly hope so. Hey, and leading off with a quick movie flash, do yourself a favor and see Michael Clayton. It's not the best movie ever made, but it has some really original pacing. It's directed by Tony Gilroy. This is his first effort as a director. He's a very successful writer. And it has, again, some very interesting ways of presenting the narrative. And if you're a George Clooney fan, you can't go wrong. Californication had a great episode last week. If you're a writer, you have to see it. 
When was the last time you saw a half an hour hilarious comedy with lots of erotic situations, but the real star of the story was a manuscript? And don't forget, next week we'll have a special edition of Light On, Light Through. It'll be our first birthday. Light On, Light Through will be a year old on October 21st, 2007. So, send me your best wishes in 10 seconds or less in MP3 form. Send them to levinson.paul at gmail.com, and I'll put them all on this next podcast. So I'm looking forward to getting your greetings. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. That means we're coming to the end of this episode of Light On, Light Through. But coming up, you'll hear a great promo for Mike Thinks. MikeThinks.com, the savviest podcast in town. Go over and take a listen. You'll definitely enjoy it. Hey, and you're going to hear a promo for Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Coat. Sean has actually finished the patio book now. As a special treat, you'll hear an interview that Sean did with me. Actually, I don't know how much of a treat it is for you to hear more of my voice, but Sean did do a very good interview, and you can hear that now, as well as the complete patio book. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Sean's webpage. Just go over to lightonlightthrough.com, and you'll find a link for it. And you'll also hear a promo for the Punk Horror Podcast as well. So listen, it's been great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. out the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world. Witness the wonder of ages past, and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Join the battle, witness the wonder, or forever be victim to the awe and power of the Silk Code. Phil D'Amato is ready. Are you? Punk Horror Podcast, coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press. 
featuring the punk and the pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacey Campbell, and author Red Fiction, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com.